Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Uh, we do not have Mr. Garrick Lowen with us today. It's just me and Snacks and Laundry. Jackson, how you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing all right. Uh, today... We have a fantabulous interview with our good longtime friend of a, maybe a couple months, uh, Daniel Beckegaard, out a Danish triathlete, professional, best in the world here coming up. Um, young guy too, incredibly professional. And as you can tell from our interview coming up, super focused, dedicated, no bullshit. I mean, I guess that's kind of what we expect from, you know, the Danish culture, just very direct, but you know, they, they do lighten up with a couple of drinks and they become very hilarious. Um, but Jackson, <laughs> you got a couple announcements. What are they? Yeah. So we announced our winner for the Speedhound recovery system. It was Jason Bishop one. Congratulations to Jason, everyone else in the patron. Sorry for your luck, but to our patrons only, we're still going to be able to give a discount. We're going to have a hundred bucks off for, the full recovery system and 75 off for the leg recovery system. And that's going to be off our team store. So we're going to get that up on the patron very soon and you guys will be able to take advantage. Um, so yeah, Daniel Beckegaard, he is kind of like the European version of Sam long in terms of his kind of performance and his age. They're both very young. I think Daniel just turned 25 um so that is super cool he's been he's one of those guys that's just getting so good at such a young age that you're just like oh my god this is gonna be so hard to keep up with this dude <laughs> yeah, the future of our sport is scary like look yeah. at the times two years ago that are winning races and now like i've finally caught up to those times and it's like 15th yeah it's just nuts how much it's coming along and it's awesome to see um these young guys pushing the limits and forcing guys like you know lionel and and the like to, to up their game as well and you too buddy i mean you're i mean had you not had some issues going on with some of these races you'd have been right there fighting yeah you know i'm getting there i have definitely stepped it up but i need a, a little another notch or two so that's going to be that's going to be coming up in the next race block for des moines so we've got our team all set up to race uh, we've got a bunch of us racing Des Moines, a few of us racing, or at least two of us racing Virginia. And then all of us are going to be racing in Ecuador. Well, I shouldn't say that I could still see something going wrong and somebody being like, well, I forgot to book my flight and it went up to $3,000 in the last, um, I can see that happening too. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, that's where we'll leave it. Oh yeah. I'm doing Coeur lane too, man. Frig off with forgetting about me. Oh yeah, you're doing Coeur d'Alene, of course. Um, full Ironman, and, and Nick's just going nuts with the old race, and as usual, and <laughs> well, if there's a race within three thousand miles of my house, so I'm going to do it. Well, <laughs> I've always wanted to race Coeur d'Alene, like to my core. I've wanted so even if I show up and it's subpar and I'm flat, I but I want to finish. Like I want to finish with a good marathon. Like I don't care how the swim and bike go. I've if I'm, you know, I'm getting older, I'll be 35 this year and I need to start considering, you know, more than two Ironman that are decent per year. I need to go all in and make sure long course is my staple. Cause that's kind of what happens when you get older, you lose a little speed, 
but I would still like to dance between the two. But you know, Jackson, I think you're even entertaining a full Iron Man soon, which you know you're getting old. Yeah, I'm getting old enough to start it, and we'll see. I might push it another year. Um, the one that I was kind of looking at and considering for later in the year, I ended up booking my wedding for that weekend. So oh yeah, obviously not doing that one, but might do one this year or might push it to next year. We'll see. Um, but also speaking of racing, Garrick is racing this weekend and that's why he's not here. So he raced two days in a row. Yeah. Um, what the hell is that all about? I don't know. He never even told us anything about it. He's just <laughs> I, doing it. I don't even know what the distances were or anything, but he won the race yesterday, I think. Um, and then it's in Chicago. And then today he got a flat, so he didn't finish obviously, oh. which sucks, but um maybe that's better for training i don't know doing two races I, i'm sure he's just using them as training races and uh because he'll be in des moines he'll be in des moines for sure and he's just not had a huge amount of opportunities to race and then obviously his first race of the year in galveston having the hip issue was pretty frustrating so i'm sure he's just trying to scrape the cobwebs out and get ready for des moines so i think he'll be ready to crush it for sure yeah thanks garrick for telling us that you're going to be racing this weekend you butthole said nothing anyways um so uh, we're gonna have another cool giveaway I'm not gonna announce who it is yet but we'll have a super cool giveaway um from some of our sponsors for this month of june we'll, we'll announce that the last week or the first last week of june or the first week of may depending on when the when the episode comes out um i think that's about it for announcements we got racing status everyone's pretty much not injured um pretty much <laughs> limping, limping along and getting her done and i i'm probably racing too much and i'll be a little burnt out and have to take about two months straight off but we'll see well hey bud i uh if it makes you feel any better i freaking will definitely tell you i told you so and uh you'll just yeah. have to <laughs> that's fine i mean I don't know. I, I kind of love, I love the grind. I love the the hustle and bustle of preparing and sending it, but I guess I'm starting, it's taken me about a, another week to recover now that I've gotten a little older. So that's kind of the only thing. Um, you know, Tulsa kicked me about two weeks in the tail. I was expecting just to be down a full week, but this whole last week, and even now that I'm in Park City full-time and planning that move and transporting my whole life for the next three months is, that was stressful. So it all adds up. But anyways, I still think the fitness I built for the last year, since we didn't race much, I think that's going to be there. I just got to tap into it and not be a little punk ass bitch. Yeah, man. And being at altitude park city, that's a beauty altitude to just get some good training, get some good ad adaptation. You'll yeah. be ready. And I need you there in Des Moines to push the old pace on the swim bike for me. And work with me because i don't want to be doing it all by myself because you know how it is when people start to see your name up there in the front of some of these races they're just like well i'll make you do all the work on the bike then because you're the one who wants to win this race and you know well, i'll tell you what if we can get away on the swim and we're there's like three or four of us on the bike i'll i'll be willing to work and and really put my nose in the wind and if we can get a gap of a couple minutes maybe even two to three minutes on the, the rest of the boys um, I would love that because then I'll, I, if I can still run, you know, 116 to 118 or whatever, I, that puts me in a good position too. So it helps you and it helps me. Yeah. Well, I've, and I'm willing to work. Like, don't get me wrong. I'll push it too. Cause I know Sam Appleton's racing and he's always just way up there on the swim bike. And 
Yeah. He's a good runner. So we'll have to be probably chasing him unless we can get in there on the swim with him, which is even better. But uh, I think we're good. We, we go right behind him at the start and see who can grab him. Grab the feet. <laughs> I'm going to literally grab his feet. Listening to this. He's just like, Oh fuck these guys. I don't, Sam has never once even looked at me. So he's, I think we're safe. He knows of you. He doesn't know of me. He was cheering for me in St. George. It was kind of nice. He was. Yeah, he was like, "Good job, Jackson. You can get him." I was like, "That's oh, nice." Buddy. Well, he is a nice dude. I will say that. I just have never been good enough for him to notice me. <laughs> oh, buddy, it's not that. <laughs> anyway, we should we should get into this interview with Daniel. It's a good one. You guys are gonna like it. And uh, here it is. Without further ado, we are here with Daniel Bakegard, one of the best triathletes on the circuit and also one of the youngest so we're super excited to talk with him and welcome to the show thanks for joining us daniel hey guys yeah i'm very excited to be on the on the show and uh, have, have a nice chat with you cool um so you and nick know each other a little bit from you used to be on a racing team together and obviously you cross paths through that so Let's just go back all the way to the kind of the beginning for you, Daniel. And how'd you get into triathlon and how'd you get into long course at such a young age, especially as such a good swimmer who obviously you could have had some good success at ITU if you wanted to stick with that. Yeah. So I, uh, I started as a competitive swimmer, um, got injured, like broke my arm and, you know, then I, I saw, uh, I saw a whole other kind of, way of training through uh, riding my bike and uh, and run, running as kind of a rehab um, and I, I just really enjoyed the vibe um, and the fact that you could go out and actually enjoy time with your with your friends on the bike and and just hang out um, and I then I got into the Danish youth program in um, short course triathlon and got a you know got a coach and spend a couple of years um, developing as, as a youth triathlete. And then obviously I had the swimming background and, and kind of always uh, found my way into the, to the front of, of the, of the races, which is always fun, uh, I guess. <laughs> um, but then also as, as, as a swimmer, it was not that, easy for me to build the mileage on the run and be a good runner. So um, I was injured uh, all the time and that was kind of frustrating. Um, and then also my, my mindset towards sprint triathlon was uh, um, make it or break it kind of. Um, I was not that good at, at handling um, bad results and and, you know, the whole spiral was kind of negative um, and I didn't really enjoy the process. It was more result-based. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up at a pretty bad place where I didn't really enjoy anything um, which at age, all. Which and age I, is I got, Huh? Which age are you at this point? Um, I was uh, 20, 21 years okay. old so like a year and a half ago yeah <laughs> funny, <laughs> funny. <laughs> uh i actually just 24? turned 25 25 fair <laughs> okay. okay fair um yeah so um so i got sacked from the national team uh and i had to find out what what to do with my life um not only triathlon but 
also in general. And um, yeah, I started just working, uh, working on myself and, and f- figure out what goals I had in my life and yeah, how I wanted to live and how I wanted to do things. Um, and I found out that I wanted to be, uh, yeah, to be the best triathlete in the world. And um, that's uh, that's a goal I'm, yeah, trying to achieve now. Well, I mean, we already have a lot of big, the biggest names in the sport are already, they already feel your you're breathing down their necks, buddy. So like you are, you're <laughs> doing some amazing stuff. I mean, in the, in the North American circuit, obviously we have some, some heavy hitters who are making some waves, but I think in the European and worldwide circuit, you are just like a step above when it comes to just like the total package. So that's definitely what you're doing. Uh, we're all impressed just so you know. And um, so that kind of let leads you to probably maybe within the last couple of years to, uh, going more long course and deciding to, put yourself out there in the Ironman circuit and challenge circuit. And that's kind of maybe a little bit after where you and I met uh, during the PVAG team. Um, So kind of like, how did you find your first transitioning races moving from the ITU kind of circuit when you were getting your shit together and figuring out, Hey, I really want to go for this. Uh, You know, how was that transition period for you? I kind of see uh, two, uh, I wouldn't say separate lives, but one thing was the personal stuff, and another thing was um, uh, was the professional, you know, triathlon stuff. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I pretty quickly found uh, another uh, kind of happiness about training and racing. Um, I I started looking. At, at my actually my whole life as kind of a process and I found <clears throat> I took responsibility for my own life and my own, own career <clears throat> and that was something I, I had not done uh, in my ITU days um, because one thing is that um, when you're racing ITU then the federation will will cover a lot of the expenses yeah. Uh, your your traveling and accommodation and all that stuff, but uh, as a long course athlete, you are totally on your own and you have to to make your own money. Um, and that was that was very good for me to learn that what money is and uh, also how to get it. Um, and that your name is a business now. Exactly, uh, and I actually think that would be a good idea to also incorporate in in short distance. Um, but that's a whole other talk i guess um so so i had to take care of myself and i actually it was obviously it was kind of a pressure but also it was it it was very nice because then i really felt how much i wanted it Uh, it would be very easy to just um yeah to just get a normal job and uh, you know live a normal life i guess you could call it um but like I want to speak to that point if I'm sorry to cut you off but did you have like before you started the you know the pro triathlete career did you have like another path like another career choice or or schooling that was getting you ready for some other sort of career did you have any of that going on yeah I started I started studying economics um which was oh it was economics and communication and that was kind of what I what I wanted and 
and, and the future I I saw myself being a part of uh, corporate life. And um, but but I just quickly real, realized that that was not possible for me to to do while also training like 30 35 hours a week which um i think it it, it takes um to be on top and um yeah so i i had to make a choice and figure out how to uh, yeah how to how to do it that way like nobody's gonna be the boss of me bitch <laughs> yeah exactly Except my um nobody it's you know it's obviously my my parents also uh, raised some eyebrows when I uh, when I told them how how I was going to do it, um, but they have been very supportive, um, and I think they they have done a very good job in being supportive, but also showing me that I had to I had to take care of myself and um, and earn my own money and not just fund fund me through my whole life, um, and I think that's also a part of you know getting getting that feeling of, you know, um, you should work very hard for the stuff you, you want to achieve. Um, and that's, I think that's pretty much the greatest gift I I've, I've gotten that, uh, yeah, I know what it takes and that's, that's just how it is. So your work ethic obviously speaks you know, loads towards your success already in the sport. Um, the fact that you're able to do this at such a young age is also remarkable. So you're, you know, you're, you're probably 15 years ahead of most pro triathletes when they're hitting the game. You know, I noticed immediately after you left the PVAC racing team, like you just really boosted your social media presence, your, the way you were presenting yourself. Um, it was also incredibly professional, um, obviously on and off the course. That's kind of how you are anyways, being, you know, Danish, you're just very to the point strict. And, uh, I think that we all understand that, but I'm curious, um, if you could maybe talk to, what sponsorship looks like in your country and, and, and are the opportunities there? Uh, did you have to really, you know, network or do a lot of cold calling? Cause in North America, um, we kind of have a, I think a pretty good situation where we have a lot of, you know, incentives for companies to put money into the sport because there's tax write-offs, but what does that look like? And how was that journey for you to earn that type of money? Uh, first of all, I, uh, after I left the payback team, and obviously there is some uh, some use in between. Yes. Um, but but when I I left the payback team, I got the manager, um, and that was one of the best uh, decisions I've made because, you know, I want to be a professional triathlete, um, and I'm not doing it for social media or for the great sponsorships. Obviously, it's it's awesome, but what I really want is success yeah um and and getting a manager who understands that part of the of the game is was definitely the best part of the uh, best thing that happened to me uh, so nikolai my manager is um <clears throat> yeah so he's just doing a very, very good job and looking at you know we have a we speak daily and just talking about how to to tackle some stuff and uh, what way to do to go uh, when it comes to sponsorships and social media uh, communication, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so so that happened just afterwards, and we made a plan. Um, and very quickly, we we got to realize that in in Denmark, it's it's pretty difficult to um, to get any sponsorships actually. Um, 
at least sponsorships that you can actually live, uh, live off. Uh, so I have Fusion, that is Danish and Ceramic Speed. Um, but that is pretty much the only Danish sponsorships I have. Okay. Um, and, and then we had to look at other markets and see how, how things were, were going. And obviously, triathlon is one of the biggest sports in, in Germany, uh, thanks to Sebi and, and Frodo, especially. Um, and yeah, so, so almost all of my sponsors are actually German sponsors or German, German based companies. Um, and I think that's obviously it ha have to do with, uh, the, you know, as you said, companies being based in, in Germany, that makes it a bit easier. Um, because otherwise you have, uh, in, in the U S you obviously have very big brands who are, who are willing to post a lot of money into triathlon and sports in general. Um, yeah. And that's not really the case here in, in Europe uh, in the same way. Um, and then also, I guess, uh, geographically, we have, um, we have more very high, um, highly paid athletes in, uh, in my area. So Germany, Germany, obviously, we have like the top 10 or top five highest paid triathletes, I guess. I'm not quite sure, but. I think that's how it is, and yeah. so it's it's also a market that's very difficult to you know uh, penetrate when it comes to building a profile and getting big sponsorships and all that stuff. Yeah, so I think definitely what you're experiencing over there is similar to like what we have in North America, where like so I just kind of looked it up. Germany, the population of Germany is like 83 million. Denmark. 5 million or almost 6 million, uh, Canada, mm -hmm. we have 30 million USA over 300 million. So I think that's really where it comes from when it, like they just have a bigger market. And so sponsoring an athlete, they're going to see more return because there's just more people watching. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's probably the same in Germany compared to Denmark. So I think it's definitely smart to kind of try to bridge into that market. Um, and we do it here too. the Canadian athletes all, pretty much have mostly American sponsors and we try to have a couple of good Canadian companies that are supporting us. But the reality is there's just not as enough. There's not enough marketing for them to be able to support like, you know, big sponsorships for athletes a lot. So, um, but then I again, I don't think it's, it's particularly a bad thing. Um, yeah, because no. then you have very big races in, in the U S that you also want to race. And I also have, you know, we have Frankfurt and Roth, especially in, in Germany, that is high profile races. Um, so that obviously also comes into, into play when, um, when sp sponsorships are made. Um, For sure. Yes. Yeah, I race mostly in the States, like you said, so it totally, um, totally makes sense. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's, it's really cool that you're, you know, very thinking on the professional side of things. And that's, as a younger athlete, especially, that's extremely important for having a long career, which I assume is what you're going for. Mm -hmm. um, but you've already had so much success. So last, was it last year or 2019 when you won your first full Ironman? Uh, yeah, 2019 in, in Klagenfurt, Austria. Yeah, so that was awesome. Um, and then you have won, you've won some halves as well. Dubai in Finland, I think, yeah. 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 Yeah, Finland, Dubai, and Estonia. Awesome. 
So what is like kind of your biggest, uh, over the last few years, what was kind of your biggest win or your biggest race, even if it wasn't a win that kind of showed you like, yes, you're really up there at that highest level and you're kind of on the right track. Um, St. George. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, it, but you know, it's also, um, it's also in different, in different kind of, um, leaks, if you could say it like that. Cause I think I went to Hawaii and did Kona, um, and that was, I broke my handlebars after like five kilometers on the bike and rode the rests um, with one gear. So that was obviously from, from a result perspective, it was, it was terrible. Um, but then again, I, I, I came off the bike and still ran to 49 or so mm -hmm. uh, off bike. And I think that that kind of taught me that the other guys are also human. Um, and they are not those kind of um, heroes that you build in your mind. So, so that was actually my biggest accomplishment personally, because I yeah. thought like, okay, I can actually be here and maybe, maybe not go on the, on the podium in the first try, but a top five was, was within reach. Um, and then it was kind of just... Yeah, Klagenfurt was was definitely my biggest win because that was the first time I was actually like I was actually proud of myself, and that's also coming back to to the personal stuff uh, I talked about uh, earlier in the podcast. Um, that was that was the first time I I felt like I I could actually you know kind of defend that I was spending so much time away from family and and money on my um, on my sport and time um, training and all that stuff so mm -hmm. that was that was very important for me to kind of show myself and also show the the people around me that i i should go all in on this stuff well i got to talk about that race real fast too cuz i was you know i just think i was i don't remember if i was still on the team or not it might have been might have been just transitioning off but you and lucas were both racing and changing hands with the lead and you had such a great lead on the bike and then you both were running so well. And then Lucas had some stomach issues as well, but you were just putting so much emotion into that race. We could see it on your face. And then that finish line, like I just still had butterflies watching you come across that line and make a statement. And I think we all felt it, man. It was just impressive. And I think right then and there was when we all like, if, if you, if you didn't know Daniel, like, now you fucking do and and you're you're gonna be around a bit and i think I, I gained a lot of respect for how you raced and you know i know that you got so a little bit of flack for just absolutely stepping on that finish line banner but i thought that that was freaking awesome and you weren't showing disrespect to anything at all you were just that's just mega amps dude so i think i think what you did there was impressive and then you know seeing you just recently and we know what happened at St. George wasn't optimal for your, you know, finish, but man, the amount of performance you put into it, the power, the, the ability to, to push through and, and be with the best in our sport right then and there, like that has to be some of the biggest ever. I mean, minus, minus Jan, that's the only contender who wasn't there. And maybe, maybe Langa, but then you raced him, you know, at Tulsa. And then you, you guys were yeah. all so close and riding together and pushing it. So man, I mean, I don't see anything, but, 
you being some of the best, you know, top, you'll be with the Germans now, you know, you'd be right with them every race, your swim the bike is solid. And then the run is just amazing. And then, you know, we, so you mentioned training, you know, 30 to 35 hours a lot. So it sounds like your protocol for training is, is, is more high volume, obviously. And, and I'm not, not a stranger to that. We talk about that quite often, but, you know, do you think that that has really, you know, shot you forward with performance and being able to maintain the higher volume with the younger age and a, in a more fresh body? Um, yeah, I think a lot of things comes into that because, um, understanding that different people needs a uh, different kind of training was one of the key things um, for me to learn. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry. Um, yeah, so, so just uh, understanding that, that um, yeah, different people need different kind of training and respecting that was, uh, was one of the first steps towards uh, yeah finding my uh, my way in, in the sport because i i'm not that talented I'm a, I'm a quite big guy and like heavy guy um lots of muscle and stuff so so i'm not like the typical triathlete um i don't know but, I, I think you're pretty lean. yeah but but still my 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 talent is maybe that i can recover like not a lot of other guys um so i can handle a quite a big uh, workload and also uh high stress um so so yeah we do a lot of of um of mileage but also uh, pretty intense work um and i think i think that's kind of the key for uh, for endurance um yeah endurance sports because it's endurance so obviously you cannot you, you cannot uh, escape from doing the work that's uh yeah that's a given i think yeah um, so before we just kind of we jumped over those really quick but i do want to go a little bit quickly into uh saint george as well as tulsa so obviously you were way up there and really pushing the race in saint george and there's been a lot of like questions about what happened what was your penalty did you know you had a penalty did you not know when did you know all those things so what did like, what happened? Like you were obviously right at the front of the race, the whole bike at some point you got a penalty and kind of take it from there and tell us like what exactly happened there. Yeah. So I got the penalty and that was pretty clear. Um, and I was, uh, I was not, uh, I was really not, uh, I did not agree with that penalty. And obviously a lot of people do not agree when they get a penalty. But I discussed it a lot with the uh, with the referee who gave it, um, and I, I still cannot see how on earth that can be a penalty. And I've had a lot of discussions with both Ironman and and the, the referees about it. And I think one of the only things that could actually make it better is a twenty meter draft. Uh, I think that would benefit the sport. And I think uh, yeah, if if we need if you know it's it's a professional sport it's not sunday league uh, soccer so um i think we need um we need a new a new system that can actually uh, make it a professional sport um and then we have to sit down and figure out f figure out together on how we can do that so i got i got the penalty for because another guy slotted in um 
in front of the guy in front of me. Um, and yeah, as I said, I, I knew I got the penalty and we, we got into, into approaching uh, T2. Um, and, and obviously the high heart rate is high and, and adrenaline is pumping. So I went into the penalty attempt and asked the, uh, yeah, I said, I, I wanted to serve my penalty and I got to know that I, I did not have a penalty. Um, and my instant reaction was, you know, okay. Like, don't, don't tell me twice. I'm gonna, you know, I, I was not questioning anything. So I just went on. And and my my first rationale was that maybe the uh, the judge took back the penalty because he could see what I what I was referring to out on the bike and yeah that could be that could be the reason um, but obviously then I I can see that the the referee would obviously tell me on the bike if if he deleted my penalty or took it back. Um, That's an honest mistake, you know, man. Like I looking, looking at looking at hindsight, I I can see that I should. I should act. Uh, I I don't know if I would call it more professionally, but yeah, questioning qu questioning the 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 situation. Um, but yeah, I I just I just took off after that and uh, didn't really look back. And then I uh, then I got to got the call like ninety kilometers nineteen kilometers in that I was disqualified, um, and. They, it was just before we we hit, we got down to the last descent on yeah. the run. Um, so you know, <clears throat> I yeah, I, I've been a part of another race where a guy interfered in the race, even though he had a penalty and impacted the race. And I think that was not cool. And I could see that was what I was doing in, in the moment. So I just stepped back from there. Um, because I would, I would not. It, it would not be fair if I contested the the win and then took all the publicity and the pictures and the media and all that in front of the real winner. If I would actually get disqualified, I think that would be very uncool, both for for the other athletes, but also for Ironman and uh, and the whole organization behind it. Because I actually think they did a pretty good job and and at doing a very very nice uh, race i think you can agree to that oh yeah um, so um, yeah so i i just yeah so just so people know where daniel was there he was you were like you got off the bike just ahead of me and and just as you were coming into the penalty tent i went by you and saw you going in there and so by the time you had realized you didn't have a penalty, went back out, you were probably 30 seconds behind me to start the run at least. And then you passed, you caught me at about 4k ish on the run, went by and went all the way up and caught Lionel, Sam, all the guys at the front. So you had to be at least a minute behind them to start the run, according to my like estimation. And then you were running with him at yeah. the end. So even if you had finished right with Lionel and let's, or whatever, let's say, you finish right beside him. That's a one ten flat run split on that course. So that was one of the best runs probably ever in a 70.3 by my estimation, based on the course alone. So obviously a thousand things can happen. And obviously whether you deserve the penalty or not, it could have been missed. It happens all the time. People should get penalties all the time and it gets missed. So you could have easily been there and 
I think you're going to do it again at worlds. And I agree with you that they need to find a way to, you know, um, I think when you said it's not Sunday league, you mean we don't need to have 60 pros starting the race. Um, And I agree with that. However, the problem that I think might arise is all the best guys. So let's say you cut it down to 30. It's still the same 30 guys who are at the front anyway. So what I think is going to happen is you're right. It needs to be 20 meters or at least 15 or something. And it's just too hard because like you said, a guy cuts in front of the guy in front of you, he slams on his brakes and then there's no way to avoid getting into that draft zone for like a second. So that's probably just going to keep happening, especially in a hilly course like St. George. Something Mm. else to consider too, is, you know, we're talking about large quantities of, of money here. So, and then we're also dealing with, judgment call penalties where somebody saw something for a second and maybe they're trying to convince themselves or whatever. So either way, like you're, you're right. It needs to be more professional. We need to have a way to judge these things based off of actual real data that, that are factual and making it a 20 meter zone makes it pretty damn easy to tell if you're, you know, drafting or if you're slotting in or whatever. So yeah, you're right, Daniel. I mean, trust me, no one in our sport, is slighted you for anything that's happened i mean it's just it's this can happen to anyone at any time and you did the right thing you were you honored the sport you honored the finish and we applaud you for that dude honestly had to been a tough call especially when you're right there and you've run like the best ever um when you went like you went you went by me out of transition and i like looked down at my watch and i looked up and you were fucking gone like i didn't even i was like you run off course or you were like and then i saw in the straight you were already like another k ahead so man i mean you were just moving and i kind of like felt the earth shake when you were pushing off the ground so good job man um oh thanks a lot but you know what's uh what's next on the old race book for you yeah it's uh it's kind of difficult in europe at the moment to uh to make any plans um after tulsa i've had uh i've had uh, short break and and just getting into stuff again and i can really feel the the impact the race uh have done on the body so uh yeah i think i'm i've signed up for 70.3 uh europeans in elsinore um i think it will happen and i'm i don't know if i'm gonna race it you know it's uh yeah i'm, I'm not gonna be on even 90 percent, so that will be a bit difficult to accept uh in 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 the race but yeah i think i think it would be just awesome to do uh, a europeans on on home soil um and su- also supporting the fact that that ironman is actually doing a race in europe i think that's pretty cool that they can actually put something together in because they are pretty strict here in europe compared to the u.s um so uh so i hope it will happen and i hope i will be there we do too, because I'm sure it'll be live broadcast. It'll be done well. Like I think the broadcasts are starting to get better. I still get a lot of complaints from age group athletes who do watch the broadcast that like it's only first place for like the whole time, and then they barely show the rest of the field. So I hope they show more depth and they show the movement of the people through the course and through the field. So, but but then again, then you could also argue that that will mean that they need more motorcycles on the on the bike course, and then all of a sudden people are drafting on the motorcycles and that will also be a problem. So I can also see that it's, it's difficult for Ironman also to, to kind of do, yeah, a perfect job 
um, when it when it comes to to broadcasting. But I hope I saw some drones out on yeah. the St. George. And I don't know if it, it was the live coverage, but I think it would be it would be so cool if they if they could have drones in the air and then just showing the the movement as you say on in the groups and and stuff like that that could be sick to watch yeah i mean even if they just had the lead moto who's with the top three like drop back to six and then you had a roamer like two motos for the male two motos for the female i think is pretty standard and i think they can do a little bit more with what they've got it's just i'm not saying it's easy but i just know people would like to see more than just you know rudy von berg on the front for like three hours straight (laughs) <laughs> well the yeah. other thing is i think they're definitely hearing these complaints and they're going to get better and that's yeah. probably it was smart for them to start doing some more of these races um before they get into worlds and kona again because now they're gonna have it honed in and, and do a little bit you know improve it so and i think they're feeling the pressure honestly from from kind of challenge and pto races where there's been some really good coverage and they're just trying to step up their game which is good to see for sure but mm-hmm. um but yeah, well, well, Daniel, thanks for your time. You have anything you want to say before we uh, we wrap here and let you get back to your evening? Yeah, tell us uh, what's your big goals for the season, like your big goals for the rest of the year. I win everything, duh. <laughs> yeah, world champion. Okay. I would not be shocked at all. Like, honestly, <laughs> you guys are betting Daniel Beckegaard for seventy point three world champion. I think yeah, right up in there with any of the best names. Um, and then are you going to do Kona again? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see you in the at least on the podium at Kona. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. But, um, but thanks, man. We we love watching your progress. Thanks, we love that you're such a cool dude, and I'm glad that I got to hang out with you back on the old P bag days and get to know you a little bit. Yeah, likewise. It's uh, it was very nice to to be on the podcast. Thanks a lot for uh, for the invite. You're welcome, dude. Talk to you soon. We do. That was our interview with Daniel Beckegaard, an absolutely phenomenal talent, super good guy too. Really cool to hear a little bit more about how he approaches the sport and how he kind of had that, I guess, almost uh, transitional period when he was in his early 20s and figuring out what's going to motivate him and, you know, kind of enjoying the process. And that's what every, that's the same theme that happens with every great athlete is they get to a point where they just enjoy doing what they're doing and they're just worried about doing the best they can every day and they're not focused on the you know uh results as much and you just see it just accelerate their results so super cool to hear from him and and i know nick got to know him even better a couple years ago have you noticed any like changes in his attitude or how he is compared to what he was like a couple years ago nick not really i think even when we were on the pvag team like the, the most time we spent together was at camp for like two and a half or three weeks so that's where we really got to see each other the most and very you know him and i were like the cleanest most organized as far as our own stuff and taking care of the house like so he was just quiet reserved and kept to himself and very focused and professional like that's the best way to sum him up he's he's a very professional like what you would expect out of a german even you know just has his shit together doesn't let anything infiltrate his bubble and i really respect that and i respect too that he won ironman austria under the the pvag um banner and that's pvag's home turf that's where the headquarters is or uh i think the headquarters might be in graz but either way that's pvag home turf and then that next year i'm sure he could have bartered for a big contract 
Um, but he decided to go on, on his own for um, a number of reasons, I'm sure. And he took a big risk and a leap of faith because, you know, P-Bag pays, they pay okay and they take care of you, but you're just kind of stuck with everything that they build, like any team. So, yeah, huge respect to, to that gentleman for making his own path and being dedicated and, and actually approaching this as a business, not just I want to be the best and that's all I can do. He can represent and get sponsorship and be a, a role model. So he's a cool dude. And honestly, I do think he's going to I, – I think he might win 70.3 Worlds. Like I don't see how – you know, he's not at least coming off the bike right up there and running that same run split or better. It just depends uh, on who else going to Kona decides to race worlds too. Cause they're so close. Uh, yeah, exactly. But honestly, I think he can run with, with Ferdino and Brownlee. And like, I think he can be, it's going to be insane. So, well, I can, I agree. Yeah. I think it's going to come down to that swim positioning and he's can be in that front group, like Jan Brownlee, um, Lionel won't be there but there's probably what, like five or six within the worlds who can break away yeah. and hold, hold their own, you know, obviously Rudy's in there too. Um, and then gap that four minutes and, and hold it. Yeah, for sure. And he's right in there with those guys, like you said. And the thing about the St. George is when he said he pulled out coming into that last downhill section, he was crushing Lionel on all the downhills and I can't see how he was. And he was looking the freshest, pushing the pace. And when he figured out he was disqualified, he pulled off. But I mean, had he not been disqualified, I really do think he would have won um, with like a one Oh nine high run split. So pretty <laughs> and, ridiculous. And, you know, we had, we had a podcast after that race and we talked about, you know, people who've been DQ'd and how they impact the race. And, you know, Daniel and I have since talked about that and he's, He's very professional, obviously, and he he has the right mind to pull out and give honor to the sport. And I and it does, you know, I think Taylor Reed is a good example of this because he won a race, I think it was um, Silverman years ago in 2015, I think it was or 16. Yeah, and I think the athlete who won was DQ'd, but still, I don't know if they knew it or not. Odds are they may may have known it, and they were just going to protest and hope that it's did. I forget who it was, but I know they got six drafting penalties. Or sorry, six. The, three drafting penalties. So the, the the third one, they were DQ'd. It was one of the Raylords, I think. Yeah, and they um, got DQ'd, and then they ran anyways. And finished. Ape took all the attention and everything, and then it was fi- figured out later, oh, he was DQ'd. And then there was Taylor in second, didn't get to go through the taper. Yeah. Get that uh, experience of going through the line first. So, so it's uh, very interesting when that happens i don't think it's happened too often obviously because it would have been a bigger issue but the professionalism and how we handle the rules and how we distinguish who's broken those rules needs to be a little bit more professional and and probably factual rather than a judgment call and i don't know how you do it i don't have any answers all i can think is you put beacons on everyone's bikes and we all have like a little box that is red green yellow and it just gives us like a one or a half meter buffer when we're getting close and that way the officials know if we've broken that um but obviously what if you pass somebody there's there's all kinds of crazy ways to do it but it there has to be a way to do it legally and make it to where it's fair because the money is going to get bigger and if you're playing with someone's career of you know winning fifty thousand dollars versus five due to a drafting penalty that could have been a, a weird call or just a, a weird judgment, then that's, 
that's kind of fucked. Yeah, it's it's come to think of it, like obviously there's like referees in every sport pretty much, and there's sometimes borderline calls, but it's well, yeah. probably got to be one of the hardest to actually police because it's so hard to know that exact distance. And like you said, we need some kind of technology that's going to do a better job or even just simple like marks on the road at a far higher frequency than what we've seen. Like it doesn't have to be the entire course, but pretty much it should be very frequent. And a lot of, you know, those pieces of tape on the road that tell you how far apart you need to be. So, well, think of this too, and this is what we'll end after this, but when it comes to penalties and professional sports, they have replays and they have cameras. Like how hard would it be for, a referee to have a GoPro on their head for the entire two hour ride that it's always recording with a power source or something to where it's a little bit more easy and empirical to get that data. Um, not that that's the way to fix it, but it's something. Um, yeah. But there's no replay. There's nothing to, to, to really contest except an argument. And I've seen so many people argue with referees during the race and it's, it impacts negatively the rest of the race. Cause then, there's guys sitting up and there's 30 guys trying to chase and then it just messes with everything. So I hope they figure something out to, to take our sport to the next level in terms of, you know, racing fairly on the bike. Cause that's the biggest point of contention. Absolutely. And I know they're trying. Yeah. And they've done a good job with what they have for the rules now and it's time for some evolution. So we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, but it is what it is for now. And you know what? Our next race, Des Moines, is not going to be a huge field. I think it's going to be pretty um, small groups. And I think that's going to help to keep her clean and let us to do the work on the bike and just take advantage of kind of being able to gap or get ourselves a gap. So let's do yeah. it, buddy. All right, man. Well, good podcast. Thanks for everyone for tuning in. Make sure to check show notes for those uh, discounts for the Patreon. Um, that's going to be Patreon only. So make sure you sign up. If you want to give you part of the discounts that we offer, we'd love to have your support and check our next episode. Whenever that happens next week, I guess. <laughs> this is what happens when Garrick's not here. It's like, uh, how do these things work again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess in the meantime, uh, we're just going to peace. Out. out. I got ish to do, flying through the sky in my parachute, dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise, on a one-man mission trying to see it through.